online or you're here with us in person, we're, we're glad you're here. And so this morning, it's Palm Sunday, we kind of enter what we call Holy Week, which is why you see some of the stuff on the floor as you come in, um, as we kind of enter into this week where we remember all that Jesus did leading up to Easter, which we will celebrate next Sunday. Kind of along, along those lines, the coming Friday at 6.30, we'll have a good Friday service where we'll, where we'll remember Jesus' death on the cross, and we'll remember that. Also, because of spring break and Easter next Sunday, there's no Sunday school um, this Sunday or next Sunday, no cross training after the service. However, after the service today, we do have a congregational meeting. Um, so you'll, you'll get the chance to hear from myself and from Ian just some of the stuff that we've been working on and going through and what we're looking forward to in the future. And also hear from Bill and the board and our report that way. So we'll, we'll dismiss from the service. We'll let you go downstairs, get a little coffee, have a little time of fellowship, and then we'll gather back here about 10.30 for that meeting. So we invite you all to join us for that. Also next Sunday, following the Easter service, we'll have a brunch um, to just kind of celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So we would invite you to join us for that. If you are planning to attend that, um, there's an, you can let the office know, you can RFUP to the office. There's also an email that went out with a sign-up form. Um, you can sign up that way as well. A couple more things kind of coming up down the road. Um, one is that on Mother's Day, we plan to have child dedications here at the church. And so this would be my first time having leading child dedications here. So just to kind of give you a little picture of what I see the purpose of child dedications for. Like I see that the chance for parents to stand before the church, to commit to the church, like ask the church to hold them accountable for raising their child and following the Lord. And it's also a chance for the, the church to commit to the parents, to come alongside them, to offer support in yeah, and raising their child. Right? So that'll be Mother's Day Sunday, May 9th. We'll have child dedications here. If you are interested in that, we'll have a sign-up that goes out via email, but you can also talk to me in person and let me know. We'll do that. And then also, I don't have a date firmly set, but I'm hoping for a Saturday early in May, we want to offer a membership class um, for the church. So if you've been attending, you want to like, become a member here, then there'll be an opportunity for you to do that. And again, this is my first time leading a membership class. And so like, the reason I think membership are important, a couple of them, right? the chance to just kind of unite yourself with this body to say you belong. It's also a chance to invite the church to, again, hold you accountable to your Christian walk, to invite the church to know you and to be known and to encourage you to live uh, more Christ-like. And it's also a chance for us as pastors and as the board to know who we're kind of responsible to care for and we're going to care for you well. And so by joining us in membership, it's a chance to say, like, invite us to care for you well. So with that, again, we're glad you're here this morning and let's enter this time of worship together. We're going to stand and sing a little bit this morning. This is the first song we're singing is Hosanna, Praise is Rising, which um, Palm Sunday, that is like, that's the name that stands out among all of them, Hosanna. People were saying Hosanna, Hosanna is... Christ entered the city. So let's worship together this morning.
like to um, take your Bible from in front of you. We're going to turn to Matthew 21 this morning. Um, I'll give you a second to catch up to it if you would like to. So Matthew 21 is the scripture that's talking about Palm Sunday. I'll read it if you just want to follow along. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your kingdom comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet, from Nazareth in Galilee. We're going to switch over. So that explains the clothes that are in the aisles right now and the palms that we have up here. The song we sang was Hosanna. The next one we're going to sing is Jesus Messiah. These are songs that are celebratory. They're talking about, um, you know, this victorious, triumphant entry of Christ into the city.
pastors, but that's kind of mysterious, I feel like. So, um, Well, it's been cool this last year seeing as, you know, everything's been crazy, but God has provided, and um, we thank you so much for all your um, offerings that you've given to keep the church running and stuff going. If you want to give today, you can give on the back table out in the foyer. Um, there's some plates. Otherwise, you can give online. Um, so just check out our website, tlefc.org. Um, yeah. Um, so this week we got news that Dick Turner passed away. So um, if you keep them, him, his family in your prayers, that would be appreciated. Would you uh, bow your heads with me? Dear Father God, we thank you this day. We thank you for um, our time together, Lord. We thank you that it is Easter week, like Lord, that it is Holy Week. We... We read the passages that, that Jen read this morning, and we, we think about the triumphal entry, your entrance into Jerusalem, your city, Lord. And we know that the people that were crying Hosanna and um, praising him as king didn't understand what was going to happen next. But we do. We've seen in your word what happened, that you came and you died on a cross and that many thought that was the darkest hour, that that was your defeat. But three days later, you rose again and turned that into your greatest triumph, Lord. That victory was declared on the third day. We think of um, Dick Turner and his family, and we know that victory was won for him, Lord, and for the rest of us, too. We pray for your comforting presence on that family, for your, um, for your just obvious grace uh, on all of them, Lord. Give them strength and, and your, um, just your peace. We pray for the rest of us as we continue to worship you, that you would bless us, help us to um, focus on you well, Lord. Um, we pray for Pastor Tim as he comes to bring the sermon. We thank you for this week, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to, to remember why we do what we do on Easter. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You could stand again. We're going to continue worshiping. 
um, this next song is Resurrecting, and there are so many, like when you think about our worship music, all of them really are Easter songs because that is what, that is the pinnacle of what our faith is. This song that I, I pulled out, it's, um, you might not know it, if you don't, just kind of listen along to the words. You can stand, everyone's still sitting. Um, but when we get to the uh, verses, or the chorus is pretty easy, but the words on it are just so Eastery. They're all about our our. Christ's death on the cross and and what this week is all about. So just worship with us and um, pray that we just bring ourselves closer to God right now. Have a moment here to just kind of think about what this week is and what, um, what we are celebrating and just the depth of it. Savior. 
Father, we do pray to you that you are great. Help us to not take for granted that it is you who gives us breath. God. May we use that breath to pour out praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to be seated. We're going to watch a short video before I preach. Shalom. It's a beautiful day for picking flowers. Well, if you like the iris, the pine, and the anemone, I sell them in the market. Is that Egyptian? Yes. I grew up there. My father was from Ethiopia. Shaparnaya Makamteanak. Shabutah Sasha Sutne Sashrutua. Natiu Patanaya Sunu Mahatir. Tamar Anaki Naniotiahuanu. Anaki Yeshua Nanazrati. Atipuarta, Snotia. Hakmunak. Shalom to you all. Shalom. Shalom. You were speaking Egyptian. I lived there when I was a boy. Why were you there? We had to leave Bethlehem when I was two years old because of Herod. He you lived in Bethlehem? During the massacre of the innocents? I did. I know the story. Herod had every child in the area under the age of two killed. Yes. It was very sad. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. It's a leopard. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. Don't turn noise from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. Thank <laughs> you. 
Get over to him. Do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor? Please just do me this one thing. But, but what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. <laughs> Was an extra tunic. Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> A little, little over a month ago, NASA landed the, the Perseverance rover on the surface of Mars. And I've, like, for a while now, become kind of interested in space travel. And, like, so, like, nerd that I am, like, I was watching the landing live on NASA's website. But, of course, like, you can't actually watch the landing because there's this long delay and there's whatever. You can't watch the landing. So you, like, end up watching this room full of... NASA engineer, did they like wait on the edge of their seat to find out whether the rover will successfully land? Or just this long wait, waiting to find out whether it's going to work. And then finally, like someone comes over the radio and announces that like, Perseverance has successfully landed on the surface of Mars. When that happens, like this room just erupts in the cheers and celebration and applause. Just this moment of pure, unabashed joy. Like, I watched these events unfold, and like, I thought about how hard all those people had worked, and what a great feeling it must have been to be in that room as that took place. And I kind of thought, like, wow, that'd be a really cool job to have. Right? To, have had, to have a hand in landing a spacecraft on another planet, just to be able to say that, would be awesome. Right? And I'd be, I'd be totally willing to do that job. But the fact of the matter is, like, I would not be able to do that job. Like, I have a hard enough time, I, like, had a hard enough time in, like, high school trigonometry, like, basic college physics. Like, I don't have the mathematical brain processing power to do what those engineers at NASA do. Like, I'm just physically incapable of it. On the other hand, like, there are jobs that I'd be able to do, but I would not be willing to do. Like, I once watched a video of a guy who's like, job it was to change light bulbs on the top of, like, radio towers. Right? So he was, like, changing this light bulb on top of a 2,000-foot radio tower. He had, like, a GoPro strapped to his head so you get his point of view. Like, if I'm watching this video, like, I'm fully aware, like, I'm sitting on my couch in my nice, secure home. Like, I know where I am. And, like, my heart is, like, pounding, like, nobody's business. Like, I do not like heights. Like, just watching the video terrified me. 
Like, all he's doing, right, is climbing a ladder and changing a light bulb, ultimately. Like, I'm able to do those things. But, like, by no means would I be willing to do that job. Like, it would terrify me. And that, that distinction between being willing to do something and being able to do something is important. Because in order for anything to actually be accomplished, you have to have both. Like, all the willingness in the world is worthless if you're not able. And conversely, all the ability in the world is worthless if you're not willing. And so we've been, we've been looking, working our way through the book of Luke, like, talking about who Jesus is. And like, knowing who Jesus is matters because like, as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, like, all these people on Palm Sunday were worshiping and celebrating Jesus. And then five days later, they're gonna, a lot of those same people are going to turn on him and be in the mob yelling, crucify him. And the question is, like, how do you go from celebrating his entry to wanting to kill him in five days? And the answer is, they didn't understand rightly who Jesus is. They had a wrong picture of what kind of king he was coming to be, and so they misunderstood who he was, and it caused them to turn on him. But as we continue in Luke 5 this morning, one of the things we're going to see about Jesus is that he is willing and able. But it's not just like routine, everyday things he's willing to do. He is willing and able to do the unimaginable. It's like, as we go through this passage, we're going to look at eight things that Jesus is willing and able to do. I know some of you are thinking, like, when his sermons have three points, they're long enough. And now we're going to do eight. Like, a little worried, but we're going to go fast. So, here, we're going to go through eight things that Jesus is willing and able to do in this passage. So, we're going to pick up Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And we read, One day... As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So Jesus here, he's teaching and the crowd's crowding in on him. He's getting a little claustrophobic. He needs more space. And so he sees a boat belonging to Simon Peter. And he, asked, he gets in and he asks Simon to push out towards Charlotte, but it's just a little bit of a platform from which he can teach. And Simon's like, well, dude, just heal my mother-in-law. I can't really say no, I guess. So he does it. And so then Jesus teaches for a while. And when he's done, he tells Simon Peter to let down the nets for a catch. And they're like, appreciate what's going on here. We have to understand like, what Jesus is really asking of Peter. Simon and his fellow fishermen, they've been out on the water all night long. Because, like, nighttime is the best time for them to catch fish, right? It's cooler at night, so the fish come closer to the surface where their nets can reach. And yet, despite 
giving up a night of sleep to fish at the ideal time, they've caught nothing. If you've like ever been fishing and caught nothing, you can relate a little bit. You know the feeling. But there's also differences. Because you were probably fishing when you caught nothing just for recreation. And when you're fishing for recreation, like it's fun to catch fish. But if you're out and you're enjoying nature, or maybe you're out with a friend or a family member, you have that time of camaraderie, like you would rather catch fish, but there's still benefits to being out there. But for these guys, they're sacrificing sleep to catch fish because it's their job. It's their livelihood. It's their means of survival. So just imagine, right? You've spent a whole night working this long, exhausting, physically taxing shift, like only to find out you're not going to get any pay for that shift. Right? That's the situation these guys are in. They're sleep deprived. They've been working all night long. They're tired, and they have nothing to show for it. And now they're doing this slow, tedious job of cleaning the net. They have to clean all the seaweed off and other debris so that the nets don't dry out in the sun and crack. Like, that annoying job. And now Jesus wants them to not only row back out to the deep part of the lake, but throw their nets into the water. Which means that when they're done, they have to start this whole cleaning process all over again. And what Jesus is asking of them makes no sense. By this time of the day, the fish will have retreated to the cooler, deeper water where their nets can't reach. Like there's no point. As an experienced fisherman, Simon knows that what Jesus is asking of him is pointless. And yet, because he has learned to trust Jesus, what does he say? Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Even though it makes no earthly sense, Simon chooses to obey. And when he chooses to obey, look what happens. Verses 6 and 7. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So the first thing here we see that Jesus is willing and able to do is he is willing and able to bless the obedient, to bless people who are obedient to him. What Jesus asked Simon to do made no earthly sense. But Simon chose to obey Jesus anyway, and Jesus blessed him for it. He went from a night of catching no fish, of getting no income whatsoever, to literally having more fish than he could handle. He was blessed for his obedience. Here's the point. When, When Jesus calls us to do something, no matter how little sense it may make, he is willing and he's able to bless us for our obedience. And not to be clear, Peter's in a, or Simon's in a unique situation. Most of us aren't going to directly hear from Jesus to do something. For us, the primary way we hear from Jesus is through reading his word given to us in the Bible. 
But there are commands from Jesus in the Bible that are just as shocking, just as counterintuitive as Jesus' command to Simon. It makes no earthly sense to love your enemies. It makes no earthly sense to give sacrificially. It makes no earthly sense to care for the poor. It makes no earthly sense to take up your cross and follow Jesus. But they're commands from Jesus. And because they're commands from Jesus, when we're obedient to them, He is willing and able to bless us for our obedience. But we must know that the blessing that Jesus offers is not always, probably not even often, maybe even rarely, material and earthly blessing. Like in Peter's case, it was a material blessing of fish. But that was short-lived, because look what happens immediately after. In verse 8, we pick up. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boat up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And so these, these lifelong fishermen, they're sitting on the biggest payday of their fishing careers. They don't even go cash it in. They don't even go sell the fish. Jesus calls them to give up the only career they've ever known. Like probably the only career they've ever even considered. Like it was probably a family thing. They're just going to be fishermen from the day they were born. But Jesus calls them and they give it up and follow him immediately. Like I don't know what they did with those fish. Presumably some partner or associate got to collect them and go sell them and reap the benefits. But Peter and James and John, like they leave everything, including all those fish, and they go and they follow Jesus. And like, as incredible as it is that they would leave everything and go follow Jesus, the more incredible thing is that Jesus would call these guys in the first place. These are lifelong fishermen. They are not qualified. They're not equipped for anything else. Yet Jesus calls them to be his disciple. Eventually, like these guys, Simon Peter, James, John, Andrew, they're going to become some of the most important people in seeing the gospel of Jesus spread across the earth. And they are entirely unqualified for the task. But Jesus shows here that he is willing and able to call the unqualified and then qualify them himself for his purposes. Jesus' goal ultimately is for the good news about his death and resurrection to spread to all nations. His hope is that the gospel will be spoken, will be shared, will be articulated. For people to be persuaded of the truth of the gospel. So like, with that in mind, like, just think, like, what kind of followers should Jesus seek after? And earthly wisdom would tell us, like, he should go after like, the great orators of his day, like the gifted speakers, the religious leaders. Like, he should go after the rich and the powerful. Like, surely that'll give more 
influence to his message. But he doesn't do that. He starts with fishermen. And then, like as we'll see later in the passage, like his next choice makes even less sense. His next choice is a tax collector. Literally the most hated people of their day. By earthly standards, Jesus is not building a dream team of followers here. Yet this, and yet this ragtag group of unqualified followers, like through them, that the good news of Jesus will spread to the entire world. We're here today because Jesus picked these unqualified guys to do his task. Right before his death, Jesus called these same unqualified disciples to go make disciples of all nations. And they do it. Jesus is willing and able to call the unqualified. But they don't remain unqualified. Like Through being in the presence of Jesus, through following him for three years, and then eventually through the work of the Holy Spirit in them, transforming them, they become qualified for the task of spreading the gospel throughout the world. And the same thing is true for us. And no matter what limitations you feel like you might have, no matter what kind of background you come from, no matter what sins lie in your past, no matter what kind of skills you have or don't have, Jesus has a vital role for you to play in his mission of advancing the kingdom. And we, as we spend time in his presence, right, by reading the Bible, by praying to God, as the Holy Spirit works in us, right, we are equipped, we are qualified to carry out that mission. Each of us has been called by Jesus to play a part in making disciples of all nations. Like how amazing is it that like, Jesus sees our limitations. Right? He knows them. He sees them. He sees all our failings. And he still invites us to be a part of what he is doing. So my like, hope, my encouragement for you from this is that you would like, embrace the mission you've been given. To do your part in making disciples of all nations. To reach out to co-workers and friends and family. And don't let this fear of being unqualified or unequipped stand in your way. Jesus calls us all as unqualified individuals. But he is the one who qualifies us. So from here, like Jesus with his new followers, they start traveling from town to town. And we pick up the passage in verse 12. Well, Jesus was in one of the towns. A man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is the video we just watched. And just notice he says, like, if you're willing, you can make me clean. There's no question of ability there. Like, he knows Jesus is able. It's only a matter of if he is willing and so to have leprosy, as the video showed, in Jewish culture was this huge burden. Because not only are you dealing with the leprosy itself, not only are you ceremonially unclean, and people are trying to flee from you, because if you touch them, 
and they become unclean too. Right? So, like, because of that, like, you're ostracized. People try to avoid you. Like, we saw one of the disciples pull a knife on the guy to keep him away. That's the life of a leper. And yet, despite that, Jesus is willing and able to touch the untouchable. But more than just being willing to, to touch the untouchable, to touch the unclean, like Jesus flips the, flips the script. He reverses the dynamic. Like he touches the leper. Right? And according to Jewish custom, like that should make Jesus unclean. But instead, when Jesus touches the leper, the reverse happens. Right? The leper becomes clean. Like we don't have the same ceremonial laws today. We don't have a lot of widespread leprosy today. Like our sin makes us unclean before God. Like we cannot come into God's presence afflicted as we are with the leprosy of sin. But when we trust in Jesus, when Jesus touches us, we are made clean. Our sins are washed away. In the words of 2 Corinthians, which we sang this morning, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus touches us, when we place our faith in Jesus, we receive the righteousness of Jesus. We are made into the righteousness of God. So the question then is, have you been made clean by Jesus? Has your spiritual leprosy, your sin, been cleaned and healed by Jesus? Because there's nothing you can do to clean yourself up. You can't make leprosy go away on its own. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor or make yourself more acceptable to God. All you can do is come to Jesus and say, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And if you do that, he is indeed willing, and he is indeed able to forgive your sins and make you clean. So if you've never done that, like if you've never trusted Jesus for that kind of healing, I would encourage you and invite you to do that. If you have more questions about what that means, I'd be more than happy to talk to you. I'd invite you to do that. So Jesus heals this man with leprosy, and it's doing all these things. It's drawing big crowds to him. And more and more people are coming, and they're praising him, and they're giving him adulation. So if I'm Jesus, I just want to soak up that praise. Right? The human nature is that if we're getting praise, we want to soak it up. Like, but Luke tells us that Jesus didn't do that. Instead, in verse 16, we read, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Just as if popularity was growing, just as he was receiving praise from the crowds, Jesus shows that he is willing, he's able to flee from praise. Which is so counterintuitive to how I think. Like I want to soak up praise. But Jesus here reminds us that there are more important things than the praise of man, than the praise of crowds. He knows that his relationship with God the Father is worth fleeing praise for. 
having time to talk to God in prayer of more valuable than receiving praise from the crowds. He, he shows us, gives us an example of how to prioritize. It's time with God is more important than other people's praise of him and receiving that praise. So we continue in 17. After withdrawing to pray, Jesus continues on traveling, and we read this. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was, was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came, came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Like what we see here, Jesus is willing and able to forgive the faith-filled. He says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. That's not even why the paralytic was coming to him. Like he wanted to come be healed of his paralysis. But Jesus knew, Jesus understands that like, there's a greater need than physical healing. It's far more important for this man that his sins are forgiven than that his legs are made straight. And because of his faith, Jesus is willing and able to do that. He's willing and able to forgive sins. But there's significant doubt among the people present whether Jesus actually can do that. So continuing in verse 21, we read, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew that they were thinking what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And not only is Jesus willing and able to forgive the faith-filled, he's willing to to offend the powerful in order to do it. We see here that he, when he claims to forgive sins, he offends the Pharisees and the tax collectors. And he'll do it again later in the passage when he calls and he eats with the tax collector. And here's the point. Right? Jesus' standards of right and wrong like, are not beholden to decrees of the powerful of the, of the world. Jesus knows God's standard of right and wrong. He knows what God has called him to do. And he is going to do it, even if it means offending cultural norms, offending the cultural elite. This is important for us because like more and more, cultural norms are coming into conflict with the teaching of Christianity and biblical morality. And that doesn't need to be a cause like, for panic. Like, the church has often been 
most successful in advancing the gospel when it's fighting against cultural norms. But it does mean that like, the odds are increasingly likely that being obedient to Jesus will mean offending the cultural elite. And offending the cultural elite often has consequences. Jesus was killed eventually for offending the part, the elite. Most of the apostles were killed for offending the elite. But they held firm to the truth they were proclaiming. And we must do the same thing. We must hold firm to the truths of the Bible and the message of Jesus. We should hold firm and declare that the truth like we should do it in the most loving and the most gracious, most winsome way possible. Right? But we must hold firm to what the Bible teaches. So Jesus tells the man, like, pick up your mat and go home. And he does. Right? Verses 25 and 26. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So like here we see Jesus is willing and able to heal the afflicted. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because Ian did a great job last week talking about like, Jesus being the purposeful healer. Like One thing I will say that, Jesus, that Ian talked about last week right, is that Jesus' healings are purposeful. And the purpose here is to give tangible evidence of the fact that he is able to forgive sins. It can be easy to wonder, like, if Jesus is able to heal, like, why doesn't he heal me right now? Like, Paul wondered that. He says that three times he pleaded with God to take away a thorn in his flesh. And the only answer he got was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. His his thorn was not taken away. You may be going through some physical ailment right now. You may be really wishing for healing. Again, unfortunately, this passage is not some guarantee that Jesus is going to heal you. Instead, he may be calling you, like he did Paul, to trust in his sufficient grace and to experience his power in your weakness. And the promise of this passage is that Jesus proves he is able to forgive sins. And because he forgives sins, everyone who trusts in him can look forward to the day when they will be given a new body and the new heavens and the new earth where they won't experience pain, where they won't break down, where they won't get sick. Our bodies will one day be fully healed, fully restored. But until that day comes, we live in these weak and frail bodies, trusting Jesus' sufficient grace and power. And finally, this passage wraps up with Jesus calling another disciple. He calls Levi the tax collector. So I'm not going to read the whole thing just for the sake of time. But he calls the guy Levi the tax collector, like one of the most hated men in Israel. They sold out to the Roman government. They were taxing their fellow Jews. They were getting rich doing it. They were wildly unpopular. But Jesus called Levi anyway. 
This once again offends the powerful. It offends the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Right? But Jesus is on faith because he says at the end, right? it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is willing and able to fellowship with sinners. This is a pattern that we'll see through Jesus' life. He is willing to offend the self-righteous by fellowshipping and worshipping, fellowshipping with sinners and outcasts. So, like, just in conclusion, I want to ask the question. Jesus here fellowships in this passage with one of, he eats a meal with Levi, one of the most influential, one of the most hated men in Israel. Makes him unpopular, but he does it anyway. So is there any group or any person that you would refuse to have a meal with? Is there any person or any group of people that you believe is so sick that they are beyond the healing grace of the great physician? Is there any person or group that in your mind is such a sinner that they are beyond the call to repentance and not worth your time to share a meal with? That was the Jewish attitude towards tax collectors. But Jesus was willing and able to fellowship with them, to have a meal with them, to attend a banquet with them that was presumably paid for by the ill-gotten tax money. Like apparently Jesus believed he could attend and he could fellowship with Levi without condoning Levi's sin. And I would suggest that if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to be willing to spend time with people who aren't like us. Right? The people who are outcasts, people who are rejected, the people who are looked down on by society. I truly believe, based on the example of Jesus here, that if we're going to be effective in advancing the gospel, we must be willing to share meals with and be friends with sinners. People who who live lifestyles we don't agree with. People who we don't agree with all that they do. There's no doubt we're able to do it. Sharing a meal is not hard. The only question is, are we willing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we see in this passage the way Jesus came for us. He is willing and able to heal, to forgive our sins, to show us how to live life, even when it's unpopular, even when it's hard. Help us set our priorities by prioritizing time with you over the praise of the crowds. God, help us to live our lives in light of what we see from Jesus here in this passage. God, would you be glorified as we trust more and more in Jesus and are transformed more and more into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go, I want you to go trusting that Jesus is willing. 
trusting that he is able to meet all your needs and that his grace is sufficient for you. You are dismissed.